turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, the 24th chapter. In your Red Pew Bible, it's on page 268 at the beginning of your Bible. 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 7. If you're visiting, we are preaching through the Bible. We believe this Word of God we need to know. And we come to the greatest king in the history of Israel, King David. Saul is trying to kill David. Remember last week we saw that the Lord took the kingdom from Saul because of this self-infection that he had. And in this bizarre, remarkable account, David has a chance to kill the one who's trying to kill him. And this is how he responds. Together as God's people, let's read verses 1 through 7 together out loud. And as you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's word. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds beside the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. The men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. Afterward, David was stricken to the heart because he had cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David scolded his men severely and did not permit them to attack Saul. Then Saul got up and left the cave and went on his way. The sins of reading of God's holy word, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. I like to give you different games to uh, amuse yourselves when you go to dinner parties with people you don't know. One of those is, do you ever ask somebody, who are your heroes and who are your villains in life? Everybody has a list. And you ask them, how do you get on the list of being a hero or a villain? Sometimes, a lot of times in our culture, it's family members. Sometimes it has to do with money. Everybody have rich relatives. They can be heroes. Little boys were sitting outside playing in the playground, and doctor's son looked up and said to his buddies, "You know, my dad works for an hour and he makes five hundred dollars." And they, uh, the next boy said, "That's nothing. My dad's an attorney. He calls somebody up for twenty minutes. He makes a thousand dollars." Little minister's kid sat there a minute and he said, "You guys, that's nothing. My dad gets up and talks for twenty-five minutes, and it takes twelve men to carry the money out." How do you determine who you admire? This morning we come to a figure in history that the world has said is one of the greatest leaders of all time, King David. David was a remarkably complex, multi-talented man. He is unbelievably passionate in everything that he does. We know from the world's records that he was, first of all, he was an athlete. He was a soldier, a warrior. He was a great military strategist. David was a theologian. He was a poet. He was a musician. And he was the greatest king that Israel ever saw. In fact, David inherited a nation that was torn apart by war 
from the petty jealousies of 12 tribes that couldn't stand each other. They had totally corrupt worship whenever they believed. And they were being attacked from outside invaders. That's what David got. And when God was done with King David in one generation, the nation was unified. There was peace and prosperity. They were worshiping the Lord of hosts. And Israel was the unchallenged ruler in the land that God had promised to Abraham. But you know, the greatest compliment that David ever had came from Samuel. We saw last week, if you weren't here, Shimuel, Samuel, anointed King Saul, the first tragic leader of Israel. And because he became so jealous and self-obsessed, that God ripped the kingdom from his hands. And Samuel said, the Lord is going to call somebody, quote, who is a man after God's own heart. The highest compliment David ever had was from God. Question. David is the most miserable failure as a father or a husband that you can find. David is a future adulterer, and he's even a murderer. And yet God says, this is a man after my own heart. Well, what's the answer here? The answer is obviously not so much in what David accomplishes or didn't accomplish, but in how he responds to life. Because David, no matter if things are going good or bad, bang, he makes a beeline to the heart of God. When he fails, right to God. When he succeeds, bang, right to God. And two areas in particular, Bel Air, with the mission we have in front of us. And our mission, if you're visiting, is really simple. We want you to grow to be a disciple of Christ, growing in your knowledge of the Word, having accountable relationships, using your gifts. We want to put the ministry into your hands, and we want Los Angeles to be the city that's known for Christianity more than any city in this nation. That's all we want. And how we're going to do that by God's grace is learn from David two ways. How David handled his wealth and how David handled his wounds. What David did with his wealth, the resources that God gave to him when he was a poor shepherd or middle class or the king, he always honored God, and the wounds. What the injustices and the people that were trying to kill him, how David responded, as you just read, was to trust the Lord. And Bella, if you and I can learn this, I want to tell you, we can set this city on its head because it'll be building a kingdom called the kingdom of God. And David is a great example of this. Because as we get ready to come to communion, we're going to have to go through the beginning of his life rather fast. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me over, first of all, to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. It's on page 259 in your pew Bible. 15th chapter, starting in verse 34 there. This is where we ended up reading last week. Shimuel, Samuel the prophet, has told Saul, because you give God the Italian salute, and, well, that's my translation, because you have dishonored God, and wouldn't do what he asked. God has taken the kingdom. Now look at this. And then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again to the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Now fill your horn with oil and set out, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, 
For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. In a month, we're going to, as we go through Advent together, we're going to talk about some of the emotions of it and how do you handle a broken heart and disappointment and loss. But right away, take a look here. Grief is something that will come to your life and mine. And if it hasn't come to your life yet, you just hold on, it will. And when it comes, grief is a process of letting go. You have a good trough. Some people grieve really slow and they come out slow. Other people just grieve really fast and bounce back. And you can never force anybody on your time schedule how to grieve. God knows when we go through loss. Jesus weeps at the graveside of Lazarus, even though he's about to raise him from the dead, because he knows our sorrows. But... Samuel is saying, oh, Saul, why did you blow it? I just grieved. This could have been so great. And God says, are you done? Stop grieving. We've got a future in front of us. Pick it up and move it on. Now, I'm not making light of the loss that so many of you have gone through. But at some point, God says, enough. I have a future for you. We're not living in the past and just marinating in what went wrong. I will use this. Now let's move ahead. And so he goes to anoint the next king. And he goes over in the 16th chapter to the house of Jesse. (laughs) This is great. uh, He asked Jesse, bring your boys before me. In the 6th verse, look at this. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. He was some another stud muffin like Saul. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And here again, he's he's looking and he goes, and all his boys come forward. And Samuel says to Jesse, well, these are none of them. God hasn't said, is this all your kids? He goes, yeah. He goes, oh, wait, there's the squirt out back. There's a little, he's like a pipsqueak. His name's David. Bring him in here. And so Samuel said, and this is the one. And the Lord anointed him. And it said he was handsome and he had a ruddy complexion. That means he had zits. And he's just this adolescent that comes in and the Samuel says, you're to be the next king. And David goes, cool. And anoints him with oil and he's the next king. Now, do you notice a pattern here? That not the eldest, which was, who normally has the birthright, but we've already seen Isaac over Ishmael. Jacob over Esau, Joseph over his brothers, Saul, the least of the tribe, David, the youngest of the family of one of the least of the tribes. Pick up this pattern. God doesn't take who the world would take. He takes who he chooses. Whoever she or he is, and God says, I'm going to use you in my way and my time. And so David becomes this person who's anointed. And in the Saul goes through these fits in the verse 14 of depression and It says the Lord sent an evil spirit. What it really means, it's complex Hebrew here, that God allowed this evil spirit to come. Hey, if you reject God, you will be filled with something. A vacuum will be filled. And remember, Jesus said, if you cast a demon out of somebody and you're not filled with God, seven demons come in their place. Saul's rejected God and he's almost a manic depressive. And when David plays the guitar or the lyre for him. It, it calms him. They already have a relationship. He doesn't know that. It'd be like if you were in a, a really bad mood, if you could have TJ in your front room playing the guitar for you all the time, you know, and that it's a calming spirit to him. 17th chapter, he goes along and 
there's this battle that takes place. Israel's fighting the Philistines. Before the 19th century, all the armies that fought were professional. Not until Napoleon did the insanity arise that you would mobilize an entire nation to go to their death and to take on the innocents or the civilians. And so we don't realize they were professional armies. And sometime they said, let's just have a contest between our greatest and we'll surrender. And we think, well, that's crazy. Well, it is crazy except that it's saving people's lives and they would honor this. Goliath is this mutant of a man. He would look down on Shaq. And he stands here and he says, bring somebody out. And David comes out and he says, who is this uncircumcised dog? And they're going, go home, boy. And David says, no. And they send him into battle. And in verse 38, the 17th chapter, Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and tried in vain to walk, but he wasn't used to them. David says to Saul, I can't use these. I'm not used to them. So he takes off all this armor. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi, the creek, and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch, his sling in his hand, and drew near to the Philistines. Now, this shepherd, all he knows is he is used to protecting his sheep with this sling. And he says, the Lord who's protected me from the lion's paw, the bear's paw, will protect me from this guy. And Goliath comes out and he's enraged. He sees this punk. And he says, am I a dog that you send this zit after me? And he says, I'm going to take your head off. Most of us would have said, this guy's too big to take on. David picks up a slingshot and says, he's too big to miss. (laughs) He thumps him in the head and he cuts his head off. And Israel routs them. Saul starts to hear of this and all of a sudden this insanity starts to build up. But one thing you'll notice about David. In the 18th chapter, he has this great love relationship with a man by the name of Jonathan. I believe there's nothing sexual about it. But it says that he loves Jonathan with all of his heart. And gentlemen, I would say, because a lot of times we're so afraid with our issues of being close to other men, he had this great intimacy. And I believe there's nothing gay about this in a sexual way. He's incredibly close. And so he's always honoring God and giving gifts to Jonathan and to the Lord. Whether David is poor as a shepherd, whether he is middle class or the king, he always honors God. In fact, when you read the Psalms he wrote of this period in his life, he said, I will not dishonor God by coming before him with empty hands. David no more would have come into this sanctuary and say, I'm not going to give my money or my time or my talent then he would have tried to fly over a cliff. He said the laws of spiritual physics. God is a holy God. I'm not going to just come and sit and soak and see what others do. I believe in the Lord. And he always honored, isn't even a young person, the resources the Lord gave him. Now he didn't go like, oh, got to get the money out. They're always after my money. He celebrated stewardship. You know, this is not a drag to him. It's, you know, when I do a wedding and a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom together, and now they're stewards over each other's bodies, they don't go, oh, bummer. <laughs> well, anyway, I won't go with that one. <laughs> they say, what a celebration. He's saying what God has given, and he gives to the Lord. And next week, I really want you to be in prayer ahead of time. Please be praying. 
And we're not going to be twisting arms and manipulating for money. This is a celebration to God Almighty. And this table prepares us for that. And saying we belong to Him. David served the Lord in his time. What are the times you and I live in? I was an early Christian. Somebody said, you know what Bible stands for? I said, what? B-I-B-L-E. Basic instruction before leaving earth. (laughs) You and I are not on this planet forever. We're going to stand in front of the Lord someday, and it is my task to get you prepared for that day. Do you know that in America, we are 3% of the world population, and we own 40% of the wealth of the world? You ready for another bizarre stat? 1% of Americans own 40% of the wealth of America. The gap between the haves and have nights is unbelievable. Two billion people today do not have access to the water you have in your toilet. And they would long to have that. A billion people today will live on less than a dollar. You could not buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks for what they will have for the whole week. And you and I live in this wealth. There are a 100,000 people in our city that go to bed every night without adequate food. That's unbelievable. You will spend more money on feeding, and I will too, our cats and our dogs in this country than feeding the poor. And I'm not against cats and dogs. Like I say, I like cats. They taste like chicken. But no, 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 no. Just kidding. Back to the topic. What we have to come to a perspective and understand what the Lord asks. And you know, for us at Bel Air, and I know a lot of us are here, and a lot of you are new to this church, but I want to tell you, if this is going to be your home mission, and I would love to have you. If this church doesn't work for you, find another one. Don't go through life just bouncing around. Do you know that as far as we know, 35% of our people, we have no givers of record that they've ever given anything to this church. Naga. Nada. Nothing. 20% of our people, as most churches, is actually about 15%, support 80% of this budget. The other 30% or 25% support the other 80%, and 40% of our people are just sitting there. Hey, 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 hey. How do I say this lovingly? Find another church to sit in. I need your parking space, okay? And I'm not saying that in a mean way. What I mean, I don't need your money. I want your hearts, and I want your hearts to Christ. And your hearts to Christ is saying, Lord, what would I have? You have to give something to the Lord. And David always honors the Lord in this. You know, how can he take care of all the needs out here? It's like the young boy walking on the beach and all the starfish were on the beach and the tide was out and he was throwing them into the water and some adult came by and said, what are you doing? He says, I'm putting the starfish in the water. They'll die out of the tide. He says, there's thousands of them. What does that matter? And he threw one in the water and he said, it mattered a lot to that one. And you can't solve world hunger, all the problems downtown, but there is a life you can make a difference in. And there is somebody that can find out about Christ, and that's what this table is about. So not only was David's strength, though, in his resources, his wealth, but in his wounded heart. In the 24th chapter over here, what you saw were, he's hiding away in the cave. They're hiding from Saul, and Saul's with his crack troops. 
And Saul stops all of his troops and he goes into the cave to use the bathroom. The Hebrew, by the way, is to cover your feet because when you stoop down, if you had a robe, it covered your feet. And so here they use, this is the nice English word, relieve himself. And so he's in the bathroom. David and his men are in the stall next to him. And they go, David, is this your day, dude, or what? And David crawls and he has a razor sharp knife. And rather than slitting his throat, he just cuts the royal robe so that Saul will know. And then he says to his men, no, I will not kill him. And they're going, David, are you nuts? This guy's trying to slit your throat. You've done nothing wrong. God anointed you. And he said, no, he's the Lord's. If the Lord wants to take him out, the Lord can take him out. I won't do it. He didn't say, Saul, you're right. In fact, he comes out and he mocks Saul and says, I could have. A second time he could have killed Saul later in the story and he doesn't. But he says, I will not strike God's anointed. You know what this table means? Forgiveness. Jesus says, if you do not forgive the sins of others, God cannot forgive your sins. You shut the water off to your house on the outside of the house, you get no water. If you say, Lord, I won't let you forgive somebody through me when they've done you a terrible wrong, you're shutting off God's forgiveness to you. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not pretending it didn't break your heart. Forgiveness is not saying, well, that's all right, we all fail. No. Forgiveness is saying, vengeance is the Lord, not mine. I trust God. And that's what David did. You know, there's a place we come to in life where we say, God, I am yours. I'm not living for me. I'm not just trying to use you. I first came to the Lord because I didn't want to go to hell. That was a smart move, by the way. <laughs> but then I, the more I walk with the Lord, I realize how I try to use the Lord just for me. And when those moments as I grow, I get to the place of saying, Lord, would you use me? How much better life is. And this table, as we come to it, is a table of saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with the money that you have loaned to me. I trust you, Lord, with even the wounds that evil. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, remember. It's against principalities and the spiritual rulers of darkness in this world that if we say, oh God, I, I want to play the game your way. Not condoning, but Lord, forgive them through me. This last 15 months that I've been with you, I've really learned to love so many of you. And there's some of you that are actually kind of starting to like me. And I celebrate in that. Do you know that if it came between you and my children, you lose. This table says, and that cross says, God said in His justice, Mark, you must pay. I'm holy. I'm perfect. But I tell you what, I love you. So much, my boy will pick it up for you. If you can't trust him at this table with that, what could you trust?